Okay, I'd like to invite you back to your seats. Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome on this wet Sunday morning. If you're a guest with us, I want to reiterate again how, how glad we are that you're here and how uh, we're honored that you would choose uh, to worship with us on a, on a Sunday morning. We're going to continue on walking through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is our sermon series for the summer. And today's text is in Matthew 5, um, verses 21 through 26. So there's, uh, like, like Jay said, there's Bibles scattered about. If you want to follow along, you can. The, the verses will be on the screens as well. So Matthew 5, 21 through 26. This is God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we're once again just thankful for your word. We're thankful that when we come here to gather and open the Bible that, that we don't have to come up with um, just wisdom, human wisdom or uh, unique ideas or something uh, necessarily creative. We, we start with your word and we're thankful that we can open it up and we know that it has power. We know this is how you reveal yourself to us. So this morning as we walk through um, this passage, I pray that you would change us, that you would change our minds, you would change our hearts, you would change the way we live when we leave this place. And really most of all, Lord, we, I pray that we would, um, <clears throat> we would experience you and know you more. And love you more. And have the capacity to love you more as we, as we leave this place. We, we thank you. It's for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so right before, I want to kind of take us back to some context here. Right before Matthew jumps into the Sermon on the Mount, he goes back in chapter 4 and says, make sure that <clears throat> we know and kind of set, set everything up here, that um, Jesus had, had come onto the scene and he was teaching in the synagogues. He was preaching, says, the gospel of the kingdom, and people were being healed by Jesus. So these, th see, these three things were happening all around the people who were listening to Jesus uh, preach this sermon. So he's preaching this sermon with that context, with that is, that, that's happening all around. And really there's two things, two reasons why we talked a few weeks ago about why Jesus is preaching this sermon. One, to, to show people and to tell people what his kingdom is going to be like. Look, this is what the kingdom's going to be like. And then second of all, um, he's, he's telling the people how to be, how to respond, and really how to live in this kingdom, especially those who are followers of Jesus. And so today starts this series of topics in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is going to address. These are, very, these are practical topics, topics that we, we all deal with. And so hopefully it's helpful for us to see um, Jesus walked through these topics in the, in the coming weeks. And to, today, 
we're starting with anger. Okay, we're starting with anger. And anger is one of those things that when we experience it, we usually, in my opinion, don't handle it well, right? So oftentimes with anger, um, it doesn't do us much good when we get angry, and it for sure doesn't do any good to the person who is the, the object of our anger. Um, and I was, as I was thinking through this this week, I was trying to think of times when I've got really, really angry, right, and really try to put myself in, in, in back to when this was and, and really think through what was happening. And one of the times I, I still can't forget is um, we, I was living in China um, as, as a missionary there for a year, several years ago. And this is one of those days where it was like one of those I want to go home days. Um, just the cultural stuff that you deal with in a different country. Anybody who cross cultures, you just deal with. You get homesick. It was a little warm that day, so it was hot. And we have to dress appropriately, so we had to have, you know, a lot of our more skin covered there than I would have here. Um, I was so tired of people looking at me. And uh, Blake, uh, who you know, is another one of the pastors here, was with me. And just these, these two just big uh, American white guys that we were just getting stared at all the time. And after months and months and months of this, we're just like, can we please just walk outside and people not stare at us? It's just, you just want to be left alone. Um, I was so tired of watching sports and movies in, in, in a different language. I got the subtitles, but I just wanted to hear something in English. It was just, just one of those kind of homesick type days. I wanted a home-cooked meal. And I remember we were getting on a bus, and we were kind of in a hurry to go. So I can't remember where we were going. The way the bus works there is you kind of get up to the edge of the curb, and you see the bus coming. And uh, in most places, you kind of wait for the people that are on the bus to get off before you get on, right? That's normal, at least <coughs> we're, what we're used to happens. And so we stand there, the door opens, and then everybody just starts moving into that doorway while everyone else is moving out of the doorway. And and this was a normal occurrence in China, but my, my tolerance was low on this day. And so there are these, these old women mostly like pushing us aside and elbowing us to get onto this bus. And I'm hot and I'm tired of it. And the bus, the, the doors start to close and we're still outside because we're led, trying to let people in, trying to do the nice thing. And finally, we both get, kind of get in the doorway to make sure they don't close the doors because we have to get on this bus. And finally, we wedge our way in and we're just barely inside the bus and just getting smashed. It's hot. And so I just hit a, I hit a boiling point. Like I get so angry. But again, I don't know the language very well. So I don't know how to like respond in anger in Chinese. So I'll get the response that I want. So add that level of frustration to this. It's like, I, I just don't know what to say where I can make people feel what I'm feeling. So all that came out is basically the words no and good. Like, so you don't usually put these words together, which is buhao in Chinese. So I just start yelling on this bus, boo-how, boo-how, like really, really loud, like probably 10 times in a row. Like I am an angry American on this bus, um, and I don't get any reaction, right? Because you can imagine in English, in English, if you're on a bus here, a guy just stands up and starts yelling, no good, no good, no good. And like that, that wouldn't tell you a lot. I didn't get the reaction I wanted, obviously. I wanted people to feel my wrath in that moment. So I probably do, obviously do damage to my body because I'm so worked up. I'm so just frustrated. <laughs> and I probably pro could have done damage to my relationships that I'm trying to build with the Chinese. Because right? we kind of stuck out and around the city. And so if anybody ever saw us again, 
We may have been known as the, the angry white guys that were on this bus who were yelling at us. And so that didn't help anything. And I didn't get the rides out of the other people that I wanted. And so that's just an example of I was angry at something, and I was trying to take my anger out through, through, through my voice, through words. And I didn't get the response I wanted, so it didn't really do me any good. And I think most of the time that's what happens when we get angry. So let's look at this text. Let's go verse by verse. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, this is a direct quote. The first part of this is a direct quote from <coughs> Exodus twenty thirteen. This is the sixth of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. And the second part there, when Jesus says, whoever murders is, will be liable to judgment, that's actually a direct quote from Deuteronomy, another book in the Old Testament where God is laying out kind of how the justice system is going to work for people who do break the commandments, okay? So Jesus is just quoting here, basically, and everybody in this audience would have remembered, would have recalled quickly, because this is one of the Ten Commandments, what Jesus is referring to here. It even says it. You have heard that it was said of those of old. So he's kind of, he's given them that. Now, he's not saying that the Old Testament words were incomplete or that they were wrong. We kind of covered that last week, but he wants to take the audience back to the true intent of the commands. That's, a, that's his purpose, the, the, the reason why God gave it. And he's also trying to make sure that he starts off this teaching, making sure everyone's um, on common ground. So he's trying to build this bridge to the audience saying, okay, well, you, you've heard, right? You remember that murder's bad, like murder's wrong. And I think that even in this room today, if I said, hey, murdering someone is not good, I think I would have a complete, like, amen, being complete agreement on that, that murder is wrong. But why is it wrong? I think we had to stop and, and, and kind of dig a little bit and say, well, why do we just think that murder is wrong? Why would God even put that commandment in there to begin with in the Ten Commandments? Like, it, it may just seem like we just assume that taking someone else's life is not a good thing. But to ask the why question, I think, helps dig into underneath to uh, what Jesus really wants us to see here. And just for the sake of time, not to go into this too far, but really the reason why that God says we shouldn't murder is because we're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers. Every human being on earth is an image bearer of God and created after the likeness of the triune God. So therefore, God is protecting his image bearers to some degree and <laughs> saying, do not murder. Okay, so that's the original command, and I think we all kind of have to get in the same room and say, okay, okay, yeah, we're, we're all on the same page here before Jesus moves forward. And this is a similar pattern that we're going to see throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus starts with the statement from the law, and then he's going to go into an explanation of the law's original intent. Because with these, sermon, these teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, God wants us to dig in. He, wants to, he, he sees the deeper thing anyway, God does. And so he wants more from us than just outward actions and behavior. Because we could put up a list. All of us, even maybe you were thinking, if, 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 if I said, hey, um, are you guilty of murder? Or if it, you're a really bad person, if you're a murderer. And in a room this size, I'm guessing we're, none of us have been guilty of that. So we're immediately going to have this reaction deep, deep down of like, man, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. Like that, that guy... That, that I see on the news or read about in the history books, that's a bad guy. That's a bad man. But I, I'm, I haven't murdered anybody. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't have to check that box on the Ten Commandments boxes. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. 
This is why Jesus continues to go down deeper, though, as we dig into this passage. So he wants us to see the original intent behind the law. And then we're going to get into uh, really the practical kind of application of um, how to deal with our anger. So let's look at verse 22. This is how he's connecting anger to murder here. But I say to you, so he said the law, but I say to you that everyone who is angry, and, and ang- well, I'll say anger with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever's anger with his brother will be liable to judgment. And that, that word anger there, um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a violent form of anger. It's an internal disposition. It's a hatred. It's a malice. And I mean, this is, a, this is an intense form of anger. Then he goes on, kind of the number two thing he says about this. Whoever insults his brother, um, and that insult there, even in your Bibles, <clears throat> you'll have, most of them have this little footnote to go down to the bottom, and it says actually raka. And this is a Hebrew kind of four-letter word, literally in Hebrew, that was like an, an insult. Like this was kind of the worst thing you could say to someone, raka in Hebrew. And that was something, a way to insult your brother or your friend or whoever. And then lastly, oh, he says it will, will be liable to the council. And then and finally he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus is, is serious, right? So he's moved on from murder. He's talking about anger and the consequences of saying these things. They're serious, like the hell of fire. Like, like this is a serious thing that Jesus is dealing with. And what he's saying here, he's saying that God will judge murder and anger in the same way. Like that, like that should get our attention. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. This is his point. He's trying to cause us to, to be self-reflective here a little bit. So we should ask the question, do we feel the same about pent-up, unresolved anger as we do about murder? Do we feel like, is that, is that, is, do we see that as, as, as a serious thing? And we should. And if we're, if we're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, I think that's good. I think Jesus wants us to, to again, look inside here. So let's talk about anger for uh, just a second. What, what is anger? One commentator defines it like this. It's a spontaneous will or emotion that happens when we don't get what we want. Okay? Spontaneous will or emotion that happens when we don't get what we want. And this kind of anger here that Jesus is referring to is not just annoyance, I'm a little frustrated, or they're bothering me. No, this is like a deep-seated anger that you brood over, that stirs up bitterness, that just churns inside of you, and it builds and builds and builds. Um, One of the foremost um, scholars on Matthew says, in his commentary, he said you could even kind of use this phrase um, and how we use it in nursing a, a grudge. When we say, hey, you're nursing a grudge, what that literally means is nursing, obviously helping, moving along, making it making better. And so when you're nursing, a, so it's like you're nursing a grudge, you're nursing your anger. Like you're not dealing with it, you're nursing it, you're moving it along, you're allowing it to take root. And so this is how we should see this kind of anger that Jesus is talking about. He's saying that murder comes from the same place in our hearts that anger does. So he wants to go to that place and deal with it, okay? So one of the things we have to, to know before we move forward is Jesus is not saying be nice. Hey, don't worry, be happy. Turn that frown upside down. Like this is not at that level. He's not just telling us, oh, you're a little angry. Go change your circumstances or get some more rest. Like he's not telling us that. As a matter of fact, it never says in the Bible, this is interesting, it never says in the Bible, 
do not be angry. Like, that's never a command given in the Scripture. Because his anger is, a, is an emotion, and it's not an action. It's, it's an emotion, not an action. And we really can't control our emotions. Those emotions are, we, we react emotionally. They affect us. Can we, can, we, can we change how they influence us? Can we change how we react to them? Yes, absolutely. But we can't change the fact that we have emotions. We can't control them. Okay, so listen, listen to Ephesians 4. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Kind of in, in, um, in, um, in kind of opposite of saying do not be angry. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. That's the biblical command. Be angry and do not sin. Then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. <laughs> he's, telling us, he's telling us not, he's not saying not be angry. He's telling us to not let your anger control you to the point that either um, you do damage to yourself or you do damage to others. And this is what he's saying at the end of, Paul at the end of that, in the verse there, he says, one, don't let it fester. When he says, don't let sun go down on your anger, it could be the literal sun, but more like he's saying, hey, don't let this anger fester. Don't let it linger. Don't let it build up inside of you. And he says, if it does get to that point, he's saying, Paul, that there's an opportunity somehow that the devil is going to use that anger that's taking root and do more damage, cause damage to you and cause damage to others. So again, Paul's not saying don't be angry. He's saying, here, this is how you should handle your anger. So anger in in and of itself is morally neutral. It's morally neutral. It's what's behind the anger, and it's how we respond to the anger, is that it becomes godly or ungodly, or does has encouraging um, results or is damaging results. Um, Anger is just something that we have as, as a result of being made in God's image. Where image bears, he gives us this emotion of anger. This actually can be a great tool. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it today, but it could be a great tool in the hands of someone who's, who's fighting the injustices of the world. That's why God has given us that tool of anger, anger to fight injustice and brokenness in the world. Because we, we just read the scriptures, God gets angry, right? Old Testament, we see a lot that God, you know, he wipes out groups of people. He gets angry at Israel, and he allows things to happen to his people that we're like, man, God, why? But he's protecting his holiness. He's angry at rebellion. He doesn't want rebellion, so God gets angry, and he's God. He's perfect, so anger can't be a sin. If God has, if God gets angry, we see Jesus getting angry, right? Like he's, he gets angry a lot with words with the Pharisees, a lot throughout the Gospels. And then there's that famous episode where Jesus flips over the money changers and the people taking advantage of, of his temple and doing things that shouldn't be done in the temple in, in kind of righteous indignation flips over these tables. So Jesus exp- has anger as well. So anger in and of itself can't be morally negative. It's morally neutral. It's what we do with it and how we respond to it that makes it godly or ungodly. So why do we get angry? So this is what anger is. So, but why do we get angry? What causes anger? And this is really important. Um, I think we know the symptoms. We know what it feels like to be angry. But why do we get angry? Well, I think it's because anger always fights to protect what we love. Anger is a defense mechanism to protect and defend that which we love, that threatens those things. 
seems, seems like kind, of, kind of innocent, but here, here's the problem. And St. Augustine, old theologian, points this out and gets, kind of hits on this when he says that the problem is our loves are disordered. Our loves are out of order. Our loves are pointed at the wrong things. So therefore, when we get anger, when something that's not pointed at God, when we get angry at that, that anger becomes ungodly. The things that we're trying to protect oftentimes are things involving ourselves, our pride, our reputation, our level of success, our appearance. So if those things get threatened, my time, my control, my calendar, like if those things get threatened, if that order in my world, I'm the king of my world, if those things get threatened, anger is going to come out. But now our loves aren't pointed the right direction. If our loves were always pointed at godly things and away from ourselves, there would be no wrong anger. So we would see an injustice and injustice in God's eyes and in our anger that would motivate us to take care of that. Any of the issues that we want to be about as a church, those things, anger propels us into those things. So the problem is our sin. It causes our loves to be disordered and aimed at the wrong things. Listen to Genesis. One of the best illustrations of this is in Genesis 4, actually. This is the story of Cain and Abel. We don't have time to tell the whole story, but um, if you remember, Cain <coughs> kills his brother Abel. Um, but before that happens, um, uh, God has this conversation with Cain. And this is exactly what God's trying to get Cain to see here. Listen to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 in Genesis. The Lord said to Cain, very first thing he says, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? So before he set, tells him to do anything, he asks him a question. He's trying to get Cain to do some self-reflection. Because again, anger's not bad. But Cain's like, well, God's like, why are you anger, anger Cain? Like, what's going on? Why are, you, why are you brooding? Why are you, why are you in fighting posture here? Why is your face fallen? Tell me about this anger. Think about where this anger is leading you, Cain. And then verse 7, he says, kind of talks about how, how he can handle it, Cain, how Cain can handle it. If you do well, if you, hang, if you handle this well, Cain, you'll be accepted. You'll be accepted. But if you do not handle this well, sin is crouching at your door. And the New Testament uses that same imagery for Satan. The devil's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this, this idea of crouching at your door, that's kind of a, has a, a lion uh, kind of imagery there behind it. Um, it and it's, he says, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So he's basically saying, Cain, you have a choice. You're going to handle your anger well, or you're going to handle it in a poor way and allow Satan to control you. Said, asked him, why was he angry? So at the end there, he says, we have to master it. You have to master this anger before it masters you. So we struggle with this, right? Like anger tends to escalate. We, as human beings, we, it escalates quickly. Um, but unlike in Genesis 4, actually, Jesus gives us a, an answer here. Jesus helps us understand how we can deal with our anger. Back to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Let's keep reading in that teaching. So, Jesus says, you are offering your gift at the altar, kind of in the, in the midst of worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you. There's conflict there. There's something going on. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And those last few verses, Jesus is saying, hey, this is a hypothetical. What might happen if you don't resolve this anger? 
if you don't get this dispute straightened out, this is what could happen. And that could, that, that could be a lot of different things. But here's the interesting thing about this, the context behind this. Jesus is teaching near Galilee, which is up in the north part of Israel. And the, the, the altar that the, that the Jewish people went to, usually at least once a year, maybe a few other times, it was 80 miles away. So this is how serious Jesus is taking this, right? So he says, if you're down in Jerusalem, 80 miles from here, and you're about to give your gift, leave it there and go back and deal with this person, deal with this situation, and then come back and give your gift at the altar. 80 miles, probably walking in this day and age. So this is how, how serious Jesus almost causes us to, when I first kind of, put that together on the background here, I thought, wow, like even more weight to be given to Jesus is serious about dealing with our anger. And what, what he's talking about here in the context of worship, he's saying that our horizontal relationships actually affect our relationship with God. And I think we all kind of know that. We're like, yeah, sure. Like I, I can see that. But no, he's saying in the act of worship, there's something that's going to be false about you giving your gift in worship, about how you relate to God in this big moment of the worship service, that something is going to happen, that that's going to be false, or it's going to be fake, or you're not going to experience God the way you should experience it. So stop and go handle this with your brother. And it's interesting, he uses familial language there, right? He uses brother, and he, or it could be sister there, but people who, who are close to you. saying so, so be careful about how you worship. He cares more about our reconciliation with each other, then he cares about just going through worship rituals. And so if, 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 this is just a statement of reality, I think. And sometimes we forget how our interactions and our relationships with one another affect our worship. The scriptures tell us we have one spirit that we're all united through, one Holy Spirit. So it, it makes sense that if we had someone against each other, especially in the context of the church, then it would, it would affect how we're, how we're experiencing God. So I'll just ask an honest question. Like if you're, if you're struggling experiencing God right now in this season, one of the first questions I would ask is, how are your relationships with other followers of Jesus? How, how are you doing in that area? How's it going? Because it, that may be a block. There may be a wall there. There may be some bitterness, some unresolved anger that you have inside of you that you need to deal with. So... Um, it's not God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't disconnected relationship with you. But the way we experience that in the context of, of, of this environment here, maybe at missional community, could be hindered because of our relationship with another person. Okay? So biggest part of these last few verses, what we need to see to zoom out a little bit, is Jesus is showing us how to deal with our anger and actually what's happening inside of us when we get angry. He's not saying, hey, don't, don't, don't be angry. Don't be angry. No, he's not saying that. He's going deeper with us. And, and one pastor I was listening to was he was talking about Jesus is like a doctor here. So he's, he's like a good doctor because he sees the symptoms here, but he's wanting to get deeper down to help us understand what's actually happening. And the way this pastor walked through it, I was, it was, it was pretty insightful. And this is kind of how that snowball of anger happens here. First, we get angry and then we give into it. Okay. So it starts to move. And then our ego becomes wounded. That thing we're trying to protect becomes, we're, it, it's, it gets hurt and we get mad. And then we start to play this self-righteous victim card. Like, like, how dare you hurt someone as awesome as I am? Like, you may not verbalize that, but that could, that's probably, if you, this continues to go, what you're thinking. 
And then you start to give your heart over to contempt, not just for maybe what that person did to you, which they may have hurt you, but you start having contempt for the person themselves. Like you start seeing the worst in that person and you start, stop showing them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm talking about some of your marriages here, right? Like, like you start to think of that person, you say, it's not just this thing that they're doing that's bothering me, but now nothing they do is good. You don't see any of their good qualities. You don't see any of the ways they've served you maybe in the past. And all you're focused on is this one thing, but now you've made it their whole character. In your mind, you've kind of assassinated their character um, because this, this, this ball is moving. And then, and then this is where it gets really ugly. Then it starts to leak out of you. That's all pent up inside. Then you start to verbalize your anger. You start to talk, say things, snap, maybe snappy in the context of a marriage. Maybe you fire off something on social media or you send somebody a hateful text, whatever it is, but it starts to come out of you. And then the next step, you, you start to, it becomes really toxic and then you start to maybe become physically violent. And then lastly, um, there's abandonment, there's, 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 there's blood, there's carnage, there's something because that's the only way this stops. Like that's, the, Satan's got you and it's feeding the anger and it has to end somehow. And if you look at, just look at like domestic violence cases, um, this, is, this is the process that usually the person who's the offender goes through. Like it starts small and then it just escalates. Or, pe- or you look at journals of people who have uh, committed um, mass, mass shootings with guns. You get behind their, their journal and you start to see this slow buildup and this, this kind of pattern, anger. You're hurt. You're a victim. You're the righteous one. And then you give your heart over to the contempt of the ones who think hurt you. And then it's just bad things happen. I think we need to admit, and this is my experience, and even with myself, is we're not good at relational conflict. Like, we're just not good at it. It's awkward, it's hard, and therefore the tendency is just to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. And we have to deal with it. If we hear anything this morning, Jesus is saying, deal with your anger before it gets to, gets to be terrible. I don't know if it's we're in front of screens more in this generation than, than we've ever had in our life. Maybe the, the, the access to the internet has pulled us out of relationships more. Um, I think a, a lot of us grew up in, um, in households. Maybe there wasn't two parents there or the parents who, who were there didn't model this where well. So we grew up as a kid, like not seeing how this is. We, we were never shown how to actually have good relational conflict that can lead to reconciliation. No, if it's social media, we get this kind of this um, feeling that we're like connected with people and things are good on social media. So there's actually an absence of conflict, we think. But just because we're not spending any time, maybe um, as much time with people face to face. I don't know what it is, but what I'm saying is what I'm observing, even in my own life, I have trouble with this. This is hard. This is a hard thing to do. I know my tendency is to, to kind of harbor things, even with, even with Nicole. It's like I try to make it go away. I try to leave it alone. But then I, I, I get through these steps, I start to feel wounded, like, oh, how, like, how, like, in my mind, how dare you, like, tell me that I'm not doing this when I'm doing all these other things, like, in my mind. I want to justify myself. And then I become, like, I'm the victim. I'm this poor victim over here. She's the accuser. Yeah, she, yeah, she's the accuser. And then I start to view her in a different way. And usually it's someone else that I'm, like, confiding in, like, talking about my anger that tells me, hey, you need to go deal with this. Like, you're being a knucklehead. Go, like, go, go work this out right now. Um, or it gets to the point, at least in marriage, like, you just can't live under the same roof and be halfway through these stages. And, like, it's going to come out. And so usually it's like I'm forced to deal with it in that situation. And, and never, 100% of the time that I've gotten to this point in my anger, I'm never like, you know what, I'm really glad I waited until this moment to deal with this. 
It's so, every time it's like, if I just would have had a simple conversation, probably a five-minute conversation several days ago or a week ago or even a couple hours ago, this would have not happened. But I, I continue to get myself back in this cycle. And, and I think Jesus is, it's, it's, he says, just drop everything, whatever you're doing, even worshiping 80 miles away, drop everything, go deal with it. Go deal with it now because it's going to get worse. Okay, so kind of in closing here, here's some things I think practically that can help, help us with our anger. Um, first off, I think Jesus does this, and, and we see this in Genesis 4, is um, when you start to feel this coming on, just pay attention. We got be aware of your anger. Like we, some of us, I just don't know what it feels like to be angry because we haven't put words to it. Like, identify your anger and ask, why am I angry? What am I trying to protect? What am I trying to defend? Um, because, like, usually Nicole and I don't, I don't get angry with Nicole because she's not standing up for the global orphan crisis, right? Like, that's not usually why we fight. That's a good thing to be angry about. Like, we usually fight because my, my sensitive, like, you know, ego got wounded some, in some silly way, and so now I'm mad. And if I would just stop and say, wait a minute, wh- I'm defending how awesome I am? Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not that awesome. Why am I defending how awesome I am? And so then it starts to, I start to back out of my anger, and then now she's not the, she's not the one who's hurt me anymore. I can actually have a level head and start to maybe have a conversation. So recognize and ask, what are you defending? And like we do with, this is Parenting 101, but usually when you're taught with discipline and kind of um, um, correcting your kids, you never do it out of anger. That's a good rule of thumb. Like, like think about like before you engage that person, if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to, like Jeremy told me to go fight, so I'm going to go fight right now. Like wait, like, wait a minute. Like, just say, well, let the anger die down. It's never good to do this while in the heat of anger, right? So let your anger die down. Have this conversation without being um, kind of hot-headed in that situation. So I think the first thing, the first step is just self-awareness, right? Self-awareness of when we're angry and why we're angry. And then the, the next two, I think, go together. And I would just say that be a person who brings blessing rather than always starting fights. So and this kind of even comes, these aren't, these aren't steps. So even just before you get angry, be a person who's encouraging. Have a posture of encouragement where you're always going to lean to see the good in someone. And if that's who you are, I think you'll be a little bit more you'll be a little bit more insulated from getting your feelings hurt or going to anger too quick. I think if you're always someone who's seeing the best in people and seeing God's image on that person, it's like, wow, they did that. That's like God, that's God's image coming out right there. And I want to tell them that I see how God's made you and wired you. And that's a good thing. And then I think another kind of uh, cousin of this one is just seeing, seeing people as they are. We just walked around and saw people as image bearers. That was the first thing we saw. Even my wife, instead of saying, this is Nicole, my wife. No, this is Nicole, an image bearer of the holy God who's been divinely created by his hand, his workmanship, has created the way she is, and she's my wife, right? Like, if that's the way we saw everyone, I think we would be a little bit uh, slower to get our feelings hurt and lash out in anger, right? And I will say with all this, like sometimes you really do get hurt, right? Like sometimes, like sometimes you really do get hurt. Somebody actually, actually offends you. So some of this, I'm, I'm making light of kind of my deep, deep wounds getting affected, but really it's still affecting in those areas. So whether somebody hurts you for real or, for, or, or they really hurt you or not, they're really attacking you deep down. So you still have to do this work to figure out, well, why did this hurt me so much? Because when you go talk to that person, you don't just want to say, hey, you, were, you hurt me really bad. I need you to apologize. Like that, 
That's not the, a good way for that to be a productive conversation. You can say, hey, that hurt me because of this. Like, I heard it this way, and it reminded me back, you know, this, and so I'm probably overreacting to this a little bit, but here's what's really bothering me right now. And you can't do that with another person in that moment until you've actually done the work before that. So I want to end with this. Think about, I want to go back to Jesus in the gospel. Think about the, this process for him, right? So God was angry with sin, right? We're, we're rebels, human beings. We're rebels. We don't want anything to do with him naturally. We've run from him. We, and, and what did he do? He was protecting his holiness. He's protecting his righteousness um, because he's God, and he gets angry. But where's his anger directed? It was directed towards Jesus. He put all of his anger, all of his wrath on Jesus so that we could escape the anger and wrath of God. And that's really good news for us. So God leads out in this. God actually shows us as Jesus does well. He moves into conflict. He moves towards the people that hated him. He moves toward the people who didn't want anything to do with him and allows them to kill him murder him so that we in this room have the, have the potential, the opportunity to be welcomed back into his family. This is really, really good news. This is the gospel, right? Like, so Jesus went first. He's the best model. He's our example in how to handle this. And now he sees us. He sees us as sons and daughters. The scriptures say he sings over us. The scriptures say he's singing over us right now. If you're in him, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is singing over you. Why? Why does he value? Why can he say these things? Because he sent his only son to die on the cross for us and to be raised three days later to, to, to purchase and to secure our salvation. Like this is the gospel. So whenever we think of anger, we've talked a lot about ourselves today, but we know that Jesus did this perfectly. God sent him. God values us because he sent Jesus. And we know that. Now, where do we get the power to do this? Last thing, where do we get the power to do this? Um, knowing that Jesus did this as well. So he's gone before us. He's modeled it. He's led out. And also, when we choose to treat our anger in this way, we trust now that the Holy Spirit's been given to us. That's part of the gospel. It's been given to us to be able to obey what God's calling us to do, right? So when we say, okay, I'm going to handle my anger better. I'm going I'm to deal with it the way Jesus is laying out here. We trust that the Holy Spirit's going to meet us in that moment when we most need him. That's why he's called counselor in the scriptures, teacher, guide, tutor. All those things are spoken of by the Holy Spirit because he's helping us. He's coming alongside of us to help us do these things. So yes, it's on us to decide, I'm going to handle my anger differently. I'm going to go make uh, amends. I'm going to go seek reconciliation. And it's scary because we're like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I don't think I can do this. It's really, really hard. In that moment, we trust the Holy Spirit's going to meet us there. Because this is what Jesus is asking us to do, and we trust in the promises that the Holy Spirit will meet us. He'll give us the words to say. He'll help us. He'll allow us to be tender. He'll allow us to be gentle. I just think of, um, in, in our culture these days, the world has such an anger problem. We're just angry all the time. Like on social media, we're angry. Politics, we're angry. We're just angry, angry, angry. And I think if there was one group of people, we talked about two weeks ago, that could, it could be salt, that could be light in the world, it's us. And especially with this issue of anger. Because if we could figure out in the church how to deal with our anger better and not lob like bombs at each other verbally and just try to just bring hurt, if we could do this internally, how, how salty would we be? How much of a light would we be in this area of the world? Because the world is dark in this area, specifically right now. It's dark. So let's be people of light 
to be people that are salty and live in this way so that the world can see, oh, there is a better way to handle our anger. And then that all points back to Jesus, and we get to actually talk about why we're getting to do it that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for your gospel. Thank you for this sermon that you gave us a sermon. You, you, you put a sermon down on, on, on paper and, and taught us this so we could um, learn and grow and know what the kingdom actually looks like, how to live this out. And so this is a huge issue. We, including myself, we desperately need help with our anger. I pray that you would help us be, be people that when the anger is turned in on ourselves and we're defending something that shouldn't be defended, I pray that your spirit would help us just let go of that and to seek reconciliation and to be people who search out these conversations to have before they boil over. But I also pray that we would be people where our anger is directed in the right places, where people made in the image of God are not being protected, where people made in the image of God are not deserving their due, where people made in the image of God are not that don't have a chance to thrive and to flourish in our world in all sorts of areas that we could talk about in this. I pray that that's where our anger would be directed and not inwardly, not to our selfish desires and motives and wanting to be great, wanting to be lifted up, wanting to make a name for ourselves. I pray that you would help us, including myself, um, kill these desires to, to be great so I can aim my anger and aim my energy at things that are near to your heart. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.